By the way, you need to know it's my fault she read those uh, scriptures in a different order. It's because uh, I apparently sent out last week's readings to her, and so uh, so I confused it all up. So good thing I'm talking about forgiveness today. <laughs> let's, uh, let's turn our hearts and minds uh, to the gospel now. We're going to come to the uh, 18th chapter of Matthew, starting in the 21st verse. Invite you as you're able to stand for the reading. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother or sister sin against me and I have to forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle one, he was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me. I will pay everything. And out of my pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. But when that same servant went out and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have mercy on your fellow servant as I have mercy on you? And in anger, his mercy delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So all my heavenly Father will do every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. So last week we talked about that following Jesus is hard. And we got that from eavesdropping on that conversation between Jesus and Peter. Matthew 16. This week now in Matthew 18, we come to some terms that we hear a lot in the life of the church, we hear about sin and judgment and grace and forgiveness and all of these things. And sometimes we get so familiar with those terms, we don't really know what they mean and we don't know how they work together and we get confused. In the chapter before us, Matthew 18, Jesus spends time unpacking just what it is we're to do with sin and what God does with it. And what we're to do with grace and what God does with it and how we're to forgive and how God forgives us. He unpacks all of us and so we move from confusion to clarity. We'll look today at the very law of God and the gospel of God and see how God uses that working together for our good. And we'll see 
in the global sense, the big picture of how that gets played out, and we'll see how it gets played out in our homes, in our personal lives, in our relationships with one another, and ultimately with God. Nearly 20 years ago, I heard Bishop Desmond Tutu speak. And he was talking not long after the aftermath of apartheid in South Africa. Apartheid, as some of you know, was a systematic, legalized segregation of the races. Separate public facilities, no multiracial elections until after it ended in 1991. Not until that first election in 1994. And Bishop Tutu described that just changing the law didn't change hearts. And so they went about through his office in the church and throughout the nation there in South Africa, making use of the biblical practice that we hear earlier in Matthew 18. We didn't read it today, but Jesus teaches us how to deal with when someone sins against us. And that's how we enter into this discussion about sin around chapter, around verse 15 in chapter 18 here. What do you do when someone sins against you? And you, you go to them and you, you tell them their offense and you hope that they respond by asking for forgiveness and then you are restored in relationship. And so they used this practice and it Jesus goes on to give us steps for what happens when that brother or sister doesn't do that. We'll talk more about that later. But Bishop Tutu said that they went around the country using this practice of not ignoring the sin that had been there, the the pain. Apartheid literally means separation. It's interesting that sin separates us from God. And so... As Bishop Tutu tells the story, they were marveling using this biblical principle to see how quickly healing, not perfectly, sometimes messy, began to take hold of their country because they didn't ignore this sin. They they shared it through tears. There were words of grace and confession. You see, when we ignore sin, when we pretend it doesn't happen or that it doesn't exist like it's popular in our culture to do today, then we're often blinded by it. Not unlike the story, maybe you've heard of the boy who let the grass seed who got in his eye fester and eventually it took root right there in his eye. Roots began to bud and he didn't notice until he couldn't see out of that eye. You see, God's word, God's law is for our good. To see that sin and then to root it out with the promise of the gospel. God's word is for our good even when we don't like it and we don't get it. And God's grace is sufficient when our actions, like we talked about last week, bring life crashing down. You ever experience a time in your life where judgment, as hard as it was, as much as you hate it, ended up being for your good? You see, the law points us to the need for the gospel. 
when we consider what we think is right, when we try to calculate how God's law and gospel work together, we misunderstand and confuse what Jesus is trying to do. Peter was trying to calculate how, how much of this are we supposed to do? And one commentator put it this way in this, in this parable, this hyperbole that Jesus uses, Jesus isn't calculating. He's not using calculation. He's putting his heart on display for us. You see, when we get confused about who God is or what God is about or to try to understand what this scripture means, scripture interprets scripture and God's heart gets revealed. And we see time and time again throughout the testimony of God's word that God in fact does hate sin, but he loves us. So much so that his word displays a God who comes after us, after making us, that he comes after us through the Old Testament and ultimately in flesh and blood and then to the cross. God's heart for his people gets lived out on the cross. He created us and then he redeemed us. So this whole chapter deals with sin. Sin that we do. Sin that's been done to us. And what do we do when we've been forgiven? Now let me step back for a moment and speak to those of you who are wondering if this sin, judgment, forgiveness stuff is a bunch of church mumbo-jumbo. Maybe you have a hard time believing it or accepting it or receiving it. Maybe you think, like I've heard uh, some have said, oh, you just use those terms to keep control of the masses. Well, here's the truth. When we look at the reality of the human condition, we realize that the way that God is dealing with us here deals with humans as they really are. Let me give you a couple examples. In all the thousands of years that we have history of humans, we discover brokenness, war, injustice, greed, racism, poverty, all kinds of things that they're all gone now, right? We've got rid of them. We've, we've, we've gotten better, haven't we? Oh, wait. We just have to turn on the news, open up our web browser, or look in the paper and see, oh, St. Louis is under harsh, serious times. Oh, war is breaking out again. Greed is taking root. Evil is happening in even in families. No, the human condition isn't going to get better by us trying to just do it a little better, do it a little, try a little harder, because it hasn't worked, it's never worked, and it never will work. There's got to be another plan. God saw that, and so he came to earth to give us that plan, that hope that transformation that the gospel brings. 
And what's interesting about it is that, that this transformation is staked just like in the reality of the human condition, in the reality of history. I say it all the time. You're probably sick of it, but I'll say it again. We stake our claim on a moment in time, in history, when Jesus really did die, and when Jesus really did bodily rise from the dead. Unlike any other tradition, any other faith on this planet, we are not afraid of history because history reveals the hope of God, the real history. So that's where we stake our claim, in Christ and his death and resurrection. And Jesus tells us, with this real human condition, we have to deal with sin in the real world. And so, we have the beginning of chapter 18 there, dealing with what you do when someone sins against you. And then we get to this parable, cue Peter again. He knows that in Jewish law, that hey, I think it's in Amos, that says uh, after three times someone sinning against you, you can cut him off. But knowing Jesus, knowing his heart, he figures, oh, I'll be generous. He, he more than doubles that, right? He says, well, Jesus, how many times should we forgive? Should it be well, seven? That's a big number, right? Jesus says, oh, no. Not seven, Peter. Seventy. Seven or 70 times seven. Jesus is giving a number that says, this isn't calculation, Peter. This is God's heart. I'm so glad it's not calculation. If you figure all of us sin at least once a day, I'm 46, that's, that's at least over 16,000 sins right there. Jesus' law reflects our need for forgiveness. It points us to God. And so Jesus gives us this exaggerated parable to help us get this. We know it's exaggerated and hyperbole for a couple of reasons. One is because he uses this awful human, this awful human experience of slavery to make his point. We knew already in Jewish law at that time, selling a human into slavery was against the law. So Jesus uses this terrible thing to show something great. And then he says that this slave owes 10,000 talents. Now, a talent was 20 years of labor. So 20 years of labor times 10,000. One commentator, I kid you not, did the math on this and came up with this result. He said, it's zillions and zillions. More debt than this slave could possibly ever, ever work to overcome. I hope you get the point here. Our sin is so great before our master Jesus, before our God, the Father of heaven and earth, our sin is so great, it's greater than we could ever work off. Our only hope is the compassion and mercy of a good, good father, of a God who put on flesh and paid the price for us. And this good master wipes away 
the sin and gives this servant his life back, his family back. This is what God does for you and for me. He restores us and he gives us life and he wipes away what we could never pay with unimaginable grace, compassion, and mercy. So when his fellow servant, his fellow slave comes to him with a much smaller debt, 100 denarii, about 100 days wages, you expect him to you know, pay it forward, right? But this story, which is now already shocking to the hearers because of the massive amount of debt just being wiped away, gets even more shocking when this servant instead binds his fellow servant and says, no, you need to pay me back and throws him in prison until he can. Distressed and shocked by this news, word gets back to the master. Word gets back to Jesus and it always gets back. And this master tells his once forgiven servant, because you haven't forgiven as you have been forgiven, you will now be bound and tortured. And Jesus says these really tough words next. So too, for all those who don't forgive, my Father in heaven will do the same to you. Friends, we have been given mercy upon mercy this great gift of compassion that we don't deserve and that we could never repay. And given that gift, we then now have a calling, a vocation. And remember, we talked about that vocation gets lived out everywhere we are, in our homes, in our places of work, in our time of leisure, with, with our friends, our family, everybody And what's our vocation now? Having received this gift of grace? It's to share it. To be agents of God's grace to others. When we get down on our knees and turn our hearts to the Master, King, He forgives us. And now we're to do the same. Some of us here have been burned, hurt, sinned against. And your calling is to respond as they repent to you with grace, forgiveness. Now let me be crystal clear. I am not inviting you to put yourself in harm's way of an evil abuser. But what I am saying is, is what Jesus says here, for those who have been forgiven, the proper response is sharing this radical forgiveness to the world. And whenever possible, as far as it depends on you, Jesus' ministry of reconciliation is now your ministry of reconciliation. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 7, Happy are those who show mercy, for it is them that mercy will be shown. Commentator thinking about this passage in chapter 18 And T. France says, if mercy is the characteristic of God, it should be the characteristic of his people. Did you hear that? If it's the characteristic of God, it should be the characteristic 
of his people. So notice in all of these sections on sin in Matthew 18, sin is culpable. It doesn't get brushed under the rug. The sinners are guilty. But what do we do with sin? We repent. What does God do? He forgives. What does the one who has received grace do? We share that grace with all those around us. This glorifies God and is for our good. It's our human vocation, this calling that God gives us. When Scripture talks about not judging, it doesn't say we're to ignore sin. This fuller expression here in Matthew 18 paints the picture of God's heart for us. Let me pause for a moment. What brokenness is there in your life? Is there a sin that you need to confess to someone or to God? Is there a person that you've been holding a grudge towards that it's time for you to forgive? A biblical example of this vocation of forgiveness is Joseph, right? His brothers leave him for dead, get sold into slavery. He now has every right to take the law into his hands and condemn his family, condemn his brothers. And what does he do instead? He takes on this vocation that God has given him and he forgives. He says that he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. They didn't deserve it. They didn't do anything for it. They came humbly before him and Joseph poured out the mercies of God. This is what you and I are called to do. The inference here, friends, is that sin is real. It must be dealt with. God won't ignore it, but God deals with it on the cross and we bring it to God's cross. We bring it to Jesus and let the master who with compassion forgive us so that now we can forgive others. We are agents of God's grace in the world. Martin Luther tells us and reminds us that when we pray this in the Lord's Prayer, do you notice how we pray? Forgive us of our sins or trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We'll be forgiven as we forgive. That's what we're praying. Martin Luther reminds us when he explains that prayer that we're like that servant. We're not worthy of being forgiven. We owe more than we could ever pay. We get what we don't deserve. So now, like Joseph, we extend that to all those around us. We know that when we forgive, it's for our good. By the way, for my skeptic friends again, this forgiveness even plays out in the reality of the human condition. Baylor University did a study Social scientists are beginning to recognize that the powerful, practical, I'm quoting, and therapeutic benefits that forgiveness offers in a broken and isolated world. Once again, God's word deals with the reality of who we are. I'll end with this promise. A couple who sought forgiveness after over 50 years of marriage You see, they'd lived together. They had a high view of marriage. They didn't get divorced, but they lived back to back with resentment 
and anger towards one another for most of those 50 years. And one of the spouses had got diagnosed with cancer and was soon to die, and they didn't want to end their marriage in this state that they'd lived in for all those decades. And so they went to a Christian counselor. And there they unpacked all of the resentment, all of the built-up anger, all of the ways that maybe even sometimes in an effort to be kind that would actually produce anger. And it just spiraled all these years. And they poured it all out in these canceling sessions. And they heard each other for the first time and forgave each other. And they left that day with joy and peace. And their marriage here on earth ended with love and joy because of grace and forgiveness. This is what God's promise for us does when we share it in the personal lives that we live. I like how one author put it, our debt to God is like the distance from the earth to the sun, but our debt to one another, you see, is against me or I against you, is like the distance between Chicago and Indianapolis. Get this, as viewed from the sun. There's real distance to be sure, but it's not comparable. And if God can bridge the first gap, with God's help, shouldn't we bridge the second? Friends, these are the words of Jesus in Matthew 18. Take heed to God's law, to God's gospel. In every corner of your life, seek his ministry of reconciliation. And so we pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Amen.